We're in this series looking at four-letter words. Now, I don't know about you, but if I said a four-letter word, some of the four-letter words you're thinking about, in my house, we got in a lot of trouble. How many, how many of that happened in your household? And then many times we would just say, I'm just saying what you guys say. No, I'm just teasing. Um, uh, and, and so when we, uh, we're looking at these words, many times we know, hey, these, are, these words are off-limit. And, and many times in our Christian walk, we look at some four-letter words within the Christian vocabulary and many times we avoid those things. We looked at the word holy last week and what it meant to be holy before the Lord, that, that because the Lord, our God, is holy, we too also should be holy. And, and today we're going to look at the word obey. What does it mean to obey the Lord? And these are some tough words, but they're words that, that, that the Lord expects us to follow and, and, to, uh, uh, and to be obedient to him and the things that he's called us to do and, and, and called us to his word and to obey his word. And so it's funny when we hear the word obey, it's not really a super popular word. Or if we hear the word submit, uh, that's not a super popular word. Um, uh, when we were kids, we may have heard our parents say, obey me or else, right? Just listen to me, do what I say, not as I do, but just do as I say. Um, and so we look at this word obey and, and there's many, many thoughts that may come up into our mind. I think the reason why we may not like the word obey or may not like the word submit, I believe, is for a couple of reasons. But one reason why I think we don't like the word obey is because we think it will limit us. We think that this word, if we truly obey or we truly submit to the Lord and to his word, we may think that it might limit us. We, we think that obedience is more about taking away my freedom than actually giving me freedom. And so what we'll discover in, in, in God's word today is actually when we submit to the Lord and we obey him, actually you will find freedom and joy in your life. That God, in his infinite wisdom, has created guardrails in our lives to help us breathe, to help us live, to help us enjoy his blessings. But many times we think, well, these these, these rules or, or things that, that God places on us may take away my freedom, but, but the opposite is true. We think it's restrictive. We, we might think that if I surrender to God, it will take away my fun and my enjoyment. Here's another reason why we may not like the word obey or submit is we think that we are no longer in control. That's a big one for you big control freaks out there, right? When we submit or obey the Lord, we feel like we're going to give up this sense of control. See, the, the word obey is a, is a servant word. It's a word that says, I'm not the boss anymore. Someone else is actually in control. And I would say that this is probably one area that most Christians in their walk with God tend to struggle with. Who is in control of my life. Now, I know that none of you married couples here today ever struggle with this issue. You know, ever struggle with the issue of who's going to call the shots, who's going to make the calls, who makes the decisions. I know none of you ever struggle with that as married couples in this place today. I know what some of you are thinking. You're just thinking this. Listen, I have no problem with obedience as long as I get my way. Right? I know what you're thinking. Um, see, the word flies... This word obey really flies in the, in the face of our entitlement society. See, 
We grow up in a world, in a society in America that everything revolves around who? Me. I'm the center of the universe. Have it your way. What's best for you, right? And so this word obey kind of flies in the, in the face of, of our entitlement society that everything should go our way. So what I want to do is I want to dig into this small parable that Jesus gives for us in Matthew chapter 21. And it's just a few verses, but these verses are chock full of wisdom. And these verses have everything to do with obedience and authority and who's in control of our lives. Let me, let me just give you a little background of this verse before we dive into it. The background here, Jesus speaks this parable on a Tuesday. And this is the Tuesday before his arrest, trial, death, and resurrection. So we kind of call that the Passion Week of Christ, this week that all these events happen. And what Jesus does is he's, he's in the temple area and the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, very religious people are all there and they're listening to Jesus teach. And there's people that are standing around, they're listening to teach. Now, people that teach would be a rabbi or a teacher, somebody that would have authority. Now, Jesus is really starting to poke at the religious of the time. And so now they're, now they're reacting to Jesus. They're saying, by whose authority do you have to speak? Basically, they're saying, who do you think you are? Why should we listen to you? Now, Jesus has performed miracles. There are people that are following him. He has his disciples. Yet the religious at the time didn't like Jesus because he rocked the apple cart. He, he, he got into their faces. He began to reveal their heart and their true motives for why they served God and the false way that they served God. So this is at the heart of the parable. This is what's going on. Jesus the temple, he's teaching, and, and he says this parable, and I want to read it for you because this is just so good, and he's provoking the religious leaders at the time. He's, he's poking them a little bit. He, he's, he, he's causing them to rile up a little bit to say who... Who are you and by what authority do you teach? So let's look at, at verse 28 here in 32 and, uh, of Matthew chapter 21. And he gives this parable of two sons. Now, I got two sons, okay? I can relate to this parable right here, okay? And so here's what it says. It says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not. How many of you, that doesn't fly in your house, right? I will not, he answered. But later, he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. Wow. Speaking, speaking to his father, saying, yes, sir. How many like to hear that word? Can I get an amen? He said, I will go, sir. But he did not go. So when Jesus answers, asks this question, which of the two did what his father wanted? 
So all these brilliant people are standing around. All these teachers of the law, the scribes are all standing around. And so he says, what did they do? And they said, the first they answered. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Well, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the religious. He's poking the bear. He's poking them. He says, for John came to you and showed you the way of righteousness, speaking of John the Baptist, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe in him. Those are fighting words. Those are fighting words. Jesus just reveals the true motives of the Pharisees. That God sent John the Baptist to preach repentance, making the way for the Lamb of God to come onto the scene, which is Jesus Christ. John even said, I must decrease so that Christ may increase. I've done my job. The Savior is here. Now listen to him. So what's at the heart of this parable? Well, you have one son who asked, was asked to do something and, and one who said no, but changed his mind and did what the father asked. And, and the father asked his other son to do the same. And he said, yes, but he didn't go into the vineyards. Now, Jesus asked this question, who ultimately obeyed the father? Who did the will of the father? And the answer is the son that went, the one that followed through. Now, we all do this at one time or another where we're asked to do something. We say, yes, we, we might have the best intentions in the whole world. We mean to follow through, but we didn't end up following through. You ask your child to do something and they say, okay, dad, I'll do anything for you, dad. Dad, I think you're the most wonderful father in the whole world. You're wonderful. I love you. Thank you for bringing me in this world. Thank you for providing for me, dad. I will do it for you. Six hours later, it's still not done. Did you do what I told you? Yeah, Dad, I'll get to it. Dad, by the way, you know what? You're the best dad in the whole world, and I love you. Four hours later, hey, son, did you get to do what I told you? No, Dad, but I love you. That's nice, son. At this point, how many parents would start to lose patience? How many parents would realize that maybe those are just words, sincere words, but they're just words? See, the one son said, I will. He was nice, he was polite, but he never followed through. Let me just say this. Here's what Jesus is saying. Good intentions are never the same as following through. You can have, all, you can have the best intentions in the whole world, but if you don't follow through, it's really meaningless. See, the other th son, I want you to see something here. It's important. He said no, but changed his mind. At first, he said no, but he changed his mind. He literally changed his direction. Now, what is at the heart of what Jesus is saying here is when he changed his direction and he changed his mind, what was the son doing? The son, actually, what Jesus is saying here was repenting. He did something wrong. He said no to his father, to his authority, but he changed his mind. He repented and did what he was asked to do. 
want you to understand something about repentance. The reason why God requires repentance in our walk with him, it's not just feeling sorry. Repentance is not just feeling sorry for something, maybe something you've done wrong, but actually true repentance is a change of mind which leads to a change in direction. That's what true repentance is. It's not feeling sorry. It's a change of mind which leads to a change of direction. So the son originally said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going in that direction. But he changed his mind, obeyed the father's word and followed through a change in direction. The other son said, I'll do it, I'll do it, but never changed his direction. He never followed through. And so true repentance, the reason why God requires repentance is that repentance is more than saying, God, I'm so sorry for my sins. I'm so sorry that I disobeyed you. See, repentance is a change of direction. It's where you say, I'm not going to lead my life any longer because I made all these wrong choices and I did what I wanted to do. But Lord, now I'm going to submit to your lordship and I'm going to follow you. It's a change of direction. It's a change of mind where it says, God, I'm now going to listen to you. I'm going to follow through with what your word says. And that's the discipleship process. How many of you here today would say with me, Pastor, there was a lot of hard decisions that I had to make when I began to follow Christ. Listen, listen. Nine o'clock crowd, listen to me. If you have not had to make hard decisions in your decision to follow Christ, Something is wrong. Something's wrong. Because if it was easy, then you're not faced with something in your life that has challenged you to say, this is wrong behavior. This is the wrong way to go. And so in your walk with the Lord, you're going to have to turn against some of the things in this world, some of the things that the world says is okay, some of the things you used to do, some of the places you used to go, some of the language you used to use, some of the behaviors you used to give into. You say, you know what? As I read the word, that's not what God desires for me anymore. Some of the people you used to hang out with. And now you say, you know what? In my obedience to the Lord, through my repentance, there's a change of direction. That doesn't mean we still, we don't witness to people, we don't care for people, or we just hide in the church and we ignore the world. That's not what he's saying here. There has to be a change in the direction of your life, of the things that you used to do, where the Lord begins to convict your heart in these things. He says, this isn't what I have for you any longer. I desire for you to live this holy life before me. And I want your life to be blessed before me. I like what Bob Goff says here. He says, God was a lot more concerned about people who faked it than blew it. <laughs> a lot more concerned with people who faked it. And that's what the Pharisees were. They were faking it. They looked holy on the outside. They looked like they were doing all these things for the Lord, but they weren't obeying God's son. They ignored him and they ignored the voice of John the Baptist to come and repent. And so they ignored him. They didn't listen. They were faking it. And then Jesus, but the prostitutes and the tax collectors are going ahead of you because they listened to me and they repented and they left their old life to follow me. The very ones that you condemn, the very ones that you point your finger at and say, look at what sinners they are and look at how righteous I am. God says they are ahead of you. So, 
Jesus directs this parable to the religious at this time because they failed to respond to John's message. Now, what's interesting here, if you read this whole chapter, Jesus has this dialogue with them because they're asking, by what authority do you teach? And so Jesus says, um, who gave John authority? Was it man or was it through heaven? Now, Jesus, they're trying to trap Jesus, but actually Jesus traps them. And so what they say is, well, by heaven. Oh, okay. So if John got his authority from God, from heaven, why aren't you listening to him? Why are you failing to repent? The very reason why he came is to prepare the way of the Lord and you didn't listen to his message. So ultimately what you're doing is you're not listening to who? To God. And see, that's how we, we can hear God. Listen, listen. We can hear God's word and we can read God's word. We could memorize God's word. We can do all these neat things. We can have our little cards and our little stuff that we memorize and tons of Bibles and apps on our phones and Bible apps on our phones. And we could do all these devotionals. But you know what? If we're not heeding the word that we're reading and listening to what Jesus is saying, it's meaningless. Just don't be hearers of the word. James says, be doers of the word because that shows your commitment and that your repentance was real. That it meant something. My ESV study notes make a good point here. They said, the fruit of one's life ultimately proves whether or not one is obedient to God's message. The proof, the fruit of one's life ultimately proves whether or not one is obedient to God's message. The proof is in the fruit that's being displayed in your life. And there's a fruit of repentance that says, I have changed my mind and have changed my way to follow Jesus. Remember that song, I have decided to follow Jesus. How many remember that, that good old Baptist song. I don't know who wrote it, but it's a good song. No turning back. No turning back, right? See, so Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to obey me and I want you to obey my words. And so he's speaking this word to these religious leaders who didn't obey John's message and didn't repent. And then they're asking Jesus by what authority he has to speak these same things. Well, he goes, well, you're not listening to John and you're not listening to me and my authority comes from heaven. So you're not listening to me and you didn't repent. You didn't obey. You're not ultimately obeying God. Now, what's interesting about the word obey because it has a very interesting meaning in, in the New Testament. It's a Greek word and it's hupokeo. And what this basically means is it's two words. It's, it's two words, hupo, uh, uh, kuo, basically it's two words. It means to listen under and then to hearken. So you've got hupo, which means to listen under. It means to submit to the word that is being said. And then, and then uh, kuo is basically a word that means to listen, but to hearken to the point to where you obey what is being said to you. And so what this word means is it means you listen and you come under the word by doing what it said and submitting to what is said. 
And so what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees is, you're not really obeying God. You think you're obeying God, but you're really not listening to his word. And I think the problem what we have is with obey is that we look at it like, man, it, 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 we look at obeying or submitting as a duty, like this is something I have to do. Okay, I'll obey. To my son, I say, Wesley, take out the garbage. And he's always like, okay, dad, I'll do it. Yes. Right, it's always like, oh yeah, it's Monday. Time to take out the garbage, right? Time to make the donuts, right? Have you ever done something out of duty? You did it because you had to do it. You didn't want to do it, but you did it anyways. What was your attitude like? Was it happy and thankful? No, most likely you complained through the whole thing. You didn't do it with a good attitude. You ever run into somebody who treated their job if it, as it, if it was a duty, something they had to do. Don't you love that experience you have with that person? Or the opposite happens where someone in their job, customer service, is very enjoyable when you talk to them. And that experience, after that experience, is very enjoyable. How many of you have ever had that experience? I have that experience every time I go into a Chick-fil-A. Every time. Chick-fil-A has got it down. We need Chick-fil-A in Rochester. I'm so glad Chick-fil-A is coming to Rochester because you will have a good experience. Because what they do is, here's what Chick-fil-A, and I've listened to many podcasts with their leadership and their owner. Uh, he, uh, uh, True Kathy wrote a wonderful book, Christian, loves the Lord. But here's what they do. Here's what makes your experience at Chick-fil-A so wonderful. What they do is they work with their employees and they honor and respect them, first of all. So it's a place where they want to work. It's a place where they're respected. It's a place where they honor them. They do it from top down. And then the employees do that same thing with the customer. So if you've got an employee that's being treated very harshly, from their employer, guess where that's going to dribble down to? You and I. So many times the reason why customer service is so bad is because the management is so bad. And it creates a very unhealthy culture, right? And so what happens is in Chick-fil-A, they've created this very healthy culture that goes from the top down. And so when you walk into the doors and you ask them for something every single time, if you say, hey, can I have some ketchup? You know what they say? They say, my pleasure. I love those words. My pleasure. Can I have a straw? My pleasure. Can I have a napkin? My pleasure. Can I have $100? My pleasure. Right? No, you, they won't do that. But everything is my pleasure. And so we were traveling back. We were checking out of college with Wesley in Virginia. We're on our way back. And of course, we've got to stop at a Chick-fil-A. So we're, we're on the way down. We knew where every single Chick-fil-A was on Route 81. So we knew. So on the way back, we said, we are stopping at Chick-fil-A. So we get to Chick-fil-A at 10 o'clock in the morning. We didn't want breakfast. We wanted lunch. And I'm like, oh no, we're here for breakfast. I want the chicken sandwich. That's why. And the waffle fries. That's why we've traveled. We've come so far. We've traveled so long. Please just a chicken sandwich. She walked in. And I said, listen, I know it's not 
It's 10 o'clock. I know that lunch and switch over to 10.30. I go, can I have, can I do a chicken sandwich? Guess what they said? My Right, Ruth. Ruth knows what I'm talking about. My pleasure. Now, we had to wait a little. We had to wait, I think, four minutes, maybe four, five minutes for it. But they came, waffle fries, chicken sandwich. So what we're going to do is Colby was home. I said, hey, let's bring Colby home a sandwich he'll like that will get something to go. So we ordered like 15 chicken sandwiches and, and a bunch of fried bring. So we get there and um, so we're waiting and we wanted to go. We had to wait a little extra longer because it took him a little bit longer. And she goes, listen, I'm sorry. She goes, I'm sorry. You had to wait five minutes longer than you should have. I'm like, nope. hey, it's Chick-fil-A. I'm good. Don't worry about it. So what they do, what they did is this. She goes, for your inconvenience, we have given you some more food. They gave us more food to take home with us. So on the whole way back from southern Pennsylvania, all the way near, we were eating Chick-fil-A in the car, and we were just happy as could be, right? <laughs> just ha- we were just happy as clams. They, they went the extra mile. So every experience. So guess where we're going to go again in the near future? Chick-fil-A. Why? Because we had a good experience. They like working there. It was a pleasant experience. It's not a duty. It wasn't something they have to do. So what should our obedience to Jesus look like? Because I think sometimes we look at our obedience to Jesus as a duty. God, read my Bible. It's Sunday already. Gotta go to church. Gotta do this. Gotta do that. I've gotta pray more. I missed my prayer time. I gotta pray more. I got to read my Bible more. I got to check this off on my list of spiritual things that I must do in my life. Is that the way Jesus wants us to live out our Christian walk? See, in order for us to understand the obedience to Christ, we need to look at how Jesus obeyed his father. And Jesus' obedience to his father is a beautiful example for us to follow. And I love this verse in Hebrews chapter 12, because this is, listen to the words here of the Hebrew writer of how he explains Jesus' obedience to his father. Even obedience to the cross. So here's what the Hebrew writer says in verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for what? The joy. For the joy set before him endured what? endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, how could Jesus going to the cross, enduring its agony with shame, do it with joy? This makes no sense. The cross of Jesus represents the greatest suffering that ever happened. Not only was physical suffering, but spiritually he was separated from the father taking the weight of our sins upon himself. He was tortured. He faced the wrath of God. It was shameful. Crucifixion was performed naked as a public spectacle. The extreme humiliation was done to detour others from committing crimes and living in in disobedience to Rome. So how could Jesus face this with joy and, and look beyond the cross to what it would accomplish? I love what scholar Leon Morris says here. Here's what he says. Great point. He says, this is what Jesus did. He looked right through the cross 
to the coming joy, the joy of bringing salvation to those he loves. What a great quote. It's exactly what happened here. Leon has it spot on. See, Jesus willingly obeyed God with joy by going to the cross because he understood what it would accomplish for you and I. If you see your obedience to, to Christ as joy because you, you look through maybe some of the inconveniences that you may go through, but look beyond that to see what Christ is ultimately accomplishing in you and through you, you will do it with joy, knowing that God is for you, that he wants the best for you. So let me give you three things here about joy through obedience that Jesus understood that it meant for you and I. First of all, his joy was in our healing. His joy was in our healing because he knew that by being obedient to God through the cross, it would make us right with God. So his joy was ultimately thinking, I know that this act of obedience, I'm going to do with joy because it benefits every single one of us in this place today. Praise God. The second thing is joy is knowing that we would be reconciled with God the Father. He knew that our sin separated us from God. And he knew that by going to the cross and facing the wrath of his Father, by taking the penalty upon himself and becoming our sin offering, he knew that we would now be reconciled with God. So he did it with joy. The third thing, reason why he did it with joy, is because his joy is knowing that evil would be defeated. He would conquer the schemes and the works of the enemy that held us captive. And so no longer would those things and sin hold us captive any longer. So what can we learn from Jesus' obedience? Let me just give you three verses here on what we can learn about the obedience of Jesus that the scriptures tell us. And this is how we learned obedience. This is how we learn obedience. Hebrews 5.8 says he learned obedience from what he suffered. He learned obedience by what he suffered. Secondly, Philippians 2.8, it says he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even on a cross. He chose humility. He became obedient to the fire to listen. It wasn't fun. It wasn't easy, but he chose humility. The third scripture I want you to see is Romans 5.19. Through the obedience of the one man, the many were made righteous. Jesus chose obedience. So here it is. Jesus chose. He understood that he was going to have to suffer. And so he allowed himself to go through that. And he learned obedience through his suffering. That things in our life aren't always going to work out for us. That we are going to go through times and trials. But that through those times, we can learn obedience to the Father by saying, God, I know you're for me. I know you're you're not against me, that nothing can separate me from your love. And so even going through this trial, I want you to teach me obedience and allow me to even submit to you through this trial. Let me choose humility. When I can choose pride, let me choose humility. Let me choose obedience to you. And the reason why he did these things is because he had a love for the Father. And see, Jesus' obedience was not this. It wasn't legalistic compliance with, with the law or keeping the rules or performance-based. He wasn't doing it to gain acceptance. Tim Keller says this about religion. He says, 
Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God. The gospel says, I'm accepted by God through Christ, therefore I obey. See, religion says, I obey, therefore the more I do, the more I'm accepted. That's what religion says. It's all depends on you. But the gospel says, I'm accepted by God through Christ and what he had already accomplished for me. Therefore, I obey out of gratitude for what Jesus Christ did for me. Make sense? Good quote there. So Jesus lived his obedience through faith. And so what he did was this. He listened to God through the trials, hardships, and sufferings. Not that they were easy, not that he, 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 he didn't need to depend on his father. But for us, we need to listen to God through our times of trials and hardships and suffering and say, God, I still want to be obedient to you. I don't want to walk back into the areas of sins. I don't want to turn back to the bottle. I don't want to turn back to those pills. I don't want to turn back to this lascivious lifestyle. That's what I did in disobedience. But even in my trial, let me just cling to you even through this and teach me. Teach me obedience even through this trial and he will bless you. Amen. Continue to listen to God. He continued to listen to God even unto death on the cross. And such listening to God even unto death allowed him to take our death and give us eternal life. So what do we see in Jesus Christ here through his obedience? What we see in Jesus Christ is that he trusted his father through everything that he had to endure. See, I think the problem we have is I'll obey as long as everything's going good. That's easy, right? But we don't learn anything. We won't grow. We won't grow in our faith. We won't grow in our trust to the Lord. So God sometimes allows us to go through these things to develop our faith. And if we can have the attitude of saying, God, I'm going to serve you even through these difficult things in my life, and I'm going to do it with joy because I know you're working your best in my life. If I can see through the trials and knowing there's something on the other side that you're producing a harvest of righteousness in my life, then I'm able to endure those things because I know you have my best interest at heart, that you want to do the best in me. You want me to grow in you. You want me to know you even in a deeper way. You want me to love you even in a deeper way. And sometimes through suffering, we will love Christ in a deeper way than if we didn't go through that. That's hard, but that's obedience. So here's the question we need to ask ourselves. What area of our life what area of our, our lives need to come into obedience to Christ? What areas of our life? Maybe, maybe it's the area of serving. God, I, I'm not serving you. I'm really, I come to church, but that's about it. I'm not really serving you. Maybe that's an area of obedience. Maybe it's the area of giving generously to the Lord. Maybe it's the area of really surrendering your life to Christ. You've been kind of waffling with that and one foot in the world, one foot over here and, and Christ saying, no, you've got to jump all in. It's all in or, or nothing. I want you to, to completely to surrender to me. Here, here's the difficult thing about following Jesus and being obedient to him. And this is the thing that, that was difficult for me when 
even now as we follow, that God will point things out into our hearts that ought not be there. And we will read his word and we'll say, I know that I shouldn't think that way. Or I know that this is wrong. And I remember even as a new believer and I was thinking just just things in the world that people would do and I'm like, well, that's not what you have for me. And, and I can remember even getting kind of mocked at school for not doing certain things anymore or hanging out with certain friends anymore. I'm like, well, why are you doing that? What are you, wuss? Chicken out? Huh, Bart, what's up? What's wrong with you? And I'm like, I'm a follower of Jesus now. Oh, okay, now you become one of those guys. Okay, good, good for you. Now you're a Jesus freak. And you'd get laughed at or maybe mocked. But there's a cost to following Christ. Jesus says to count the cost. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And I believe some of you in this place today, maybe you have some hard decisions that you need to make. Because a life in the middle is no life at all. Jesus says, I want all of you. I thank God that Jesus just didn't half-heartedly give his life for me. Jesus gave everything to reach us. He literally laid his life down. He allowed himself to be separated from the Father for you and I. That's what communion is all about. It's understanding the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and I. It's understanding that he paved the way for you and I. Do you realize that Jesus... The Father, Son, Holy Spirit are are perfect in fellowship. Jesus didn't create you. God didn't create you because he was lonely. He had the fellowship of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He created you so that you could enter into that dance, that you could enter into that relationship with God, that you could understand what your purpose is in this world, that you could understand that you're just not some blob that floats around this earth and then eventually dies and that's it. He wants you to understand that he created you for his glory, that you could experience the creator and living fellowship through his son, Jesus Christ. My life takes on new meaning now. He wants you to experience that. Why would you, listen, why would you, if somebody said to you, listen, I've got this wonderful meal to offer you. Beautiful lobster, filet mignon meal. Here it is. It's laid out for you, right? And then what we end up doing is just eating one piece of broccoli. Right? That's all I'm going to eat. I believe for most of us, that's what we settle for in our Christian walk. God has this whole plate set out for us that he wants us to experience, but we just settle for eating one little piece of broccoli. God says, I want you to jump all in. You've got to obey me. And so what Jesus did for us, he went all in and obeyed the Father completely. And that's why he sits at the right hand of the the Father, forever interceding for you and I. So I would say to you today, as we take communion today, let's make this a sacred moment where you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart and say, this is how I want you to pray. Lord, is there an area of my life? This isn't, I don't want you to be condemned because it's not, you don't, this shouldn't, you shouldn't walk away feeling guilty and more condemned. It actually caused you to walk in freedom now because you're obeying the Lord and you're going to enjoy the lobster and the filet mignon that God is just waiting to give you, but 
you're settling. You're settling. You're settling your area of sexual purity. You're settling. You're settling in the things that you've been tempted in. You're settling. settling in the things that you're allowing yourself to be exposed to, you're settling. God says, I don't want you to settle anymore. Those things will never, ever, ever satisfy you. Listen, I know that in our world today, there's a lot of things that are accepted today that weren't 20, 30 years ago. Let me just tell you today that just because the world says it's okay, God's word doesn't change. God's standard for you doesn't change. Why? Because he knows these things are going to lead to a life of destruction. And he doesn't want you to go down that path any longer. So realize that we are going to be tempted just like Jesus was tempted, yet he was without sin, that we are going to struggle. But in our struggle, as we submit to the Lordship of Christ, he will bless your life. As you submit and obey to him in the areas that he's calling you to obey. So as we pray and as we go to the table today, I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit today to reveal to your heart, where is an area of life to say, God, I've I've got to pull this thing into your Lordship. I've got to pull this thing into obedience to you because I've allowed this thing to slip in my life. I've made excuses for it. My wife or my husband has noticed it. They've commented on it, but I've ignored it. I've ignored it. I've bucked it. I've been defensive about it, and it's there. And and God, you've been working on my heart, and now Pastor Barden's talking about it. This isn't good. Why did I come to church today? I was going to sleep in. It was a rainy morning, right? But it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. That's who's speaking to you because he loves you. Christ loves you too much to leave you alone. He loves you too much to leave you where you're at. Experience the lobster and the filet mignon that he wants to offer you today. So would you bow your hearts with me and let's pray before we enter into communion today. Lord, we ask, we invite your Holy Spirit to inspect us today. And Lord, we want to submit to your lordship we we desire to be obedient to you not because you want to condemn us or to or or, or to to cause us to be led into deeper bondage into a dark cave but you want to bring us out and through that through our repentance and through our obedience to you you bring us out so we can walk in the light and we can be free from those things that so easily can entangle us and and that's what sin does so as we come to the lord's table today we recognize what Jesus Christ did for us. We recognize that it's through his sacrifice that we find forgiveness and freedom for our lives. Thank you that Jesus was obedient to the cross and he did it with joy. So give us that joy we need to be obedient and to serve you. Guard our hearts, guard our minds, guard our mouths. Lord, we just submit to you now and thank you for your love. Thank you for accepting us. Thank you, Jesus, you did everything for us. Now may the fruit of our lives and the choice that we made for you be evident 
and the way we live in obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The ushers are going to serve you communion today. We'll take it together as the family of God. After they serve you, we'll take it together. I'll lead you in that. Let me just say this communion is open to all. You don't have to be a member of our church. If you're a follower of Jesus, please feel free to take communion today and um, allow God to bless you as you honor him and as we think about what Jesus Christ did for us. Amen. God bless you as you worship with the team today.